When the moon hits your eye Like a big pizza pie That's amore When the world seems to shine Like you've had too much wine That's amore for the judges and this multi-millionaire mogul now has the best kind of goal. It is off the podium, an Olympics podcast coming your way today for another interview and a special one today. It's not an Olympian, it is an Olympic broadcaster, an Australian broadcasting icon, Matt White, who a lot of our Australian listeners and viewers would be aware as a face of Olympic coverage in the 2000s, 2004, 2006 and 2008, involved in Channel 7's coverage of the Athens, the Torino and the Beijing Olympics. And outside of that, an amazing career. He was the head of Sports Tonight, the host of Sports Tonight, I should say. Iconic sports program that was on Channel 10 in the 90s and the 2000s. And then, of course, uh, in the late 2010s. He's been involved in numerous Commonwealth Games. He's front of Melbourne Cups, Australian Opens. Formula One, big dear part of my life. So a uh, very iconic man when it comes to the world of motorsport in Australia. He's done it all. And outside of that, as you'll hear me in this uh, introduction, today, tonight, Dancing with the Stars, Sunrise, non-sports programs, which a lot of Australians, of course, are very familiar with. A lot to cover here. And this really is a fantastic chat. Matt goes through his journey into the broadcasting world, his love of the Olympics growing up, a family connection to a legend, a legend of Australian swimming, which is a great story in itself, and the experiences of working on three different Olympics on a host broadcast, multiple Commonwealth Games, as I mentioned, and so many great stories to learn about in this great chat. And one of my highlights of this entire interview, Matt White was the voice of Dale Begg-Smith winning a gold medal in 2006 you hear it in the introduction now of course here on off the podium for our winter athletes that was matt that was matt white matt white was a commentator when dale begsmith won the gold medal in 2006 so we're going to talk about that of course as well so so much to cover here so many great moments you're going to love this sit back relax and listen to our chat with australian broadcaster matt white You know our next guest from a variety of different shows and broadcasts over the years. He's done it all when it comes to sport, AFL Grand Finals, Formula One, Australian Opens. He's done Melbourne Cup, and we're here to talk mainly about his time fronting a couple of Olympic broadcasts. But outside of that, he's done a fair bit as well today, tonight. Remember that? Sunrise. And more importantly, second place on Dancing with the Stars in 2009. That should be top of the list here when it comes to uh, the achievements of the one, the only Mr. Matt White. Matt, welcome to uh, Off the Podium. <laughs> oh, you went straight to the top shelf, didn't you there, Ben? In fact, of course. I've, got, 
I've got the trophy right here. Oh, but please show us. There you oh, go. That's what look that's at what that. you get for second place. Can you read it? Oh, uh, Dancing with the wow. Stars, second place. Uh, series nine runner up. That's exactly. What Pride yeah. and praise on the show. I mean, we've had a myriad of Olympic gold medalists on the show. Man, that might be the best thing I've ever seen somebody show. So uh, you know. I'll leave it here for the entirety of the chat that we're now aware. Please, please. Well, you know, we'll see how it goes. And basically, we might need to save it at one point. But um, oh, yeah. I, I mean, a great career obviously that you've, you've had Matt and obviously we're here to talk a little bit about your Olympic experiences and everything else along the way but I always love talking to people behind the the camera in front of the camera all that sort of stuff because I feel a little bit more connected to you I, I, I'm not saying you don't have athletic ability you got second in dancing with the stars you clearly have some but I have none so therefore I talk about it you talk about it too did you sort of always grow up sort of wanting to get involved in journalism broadcasting things like that was that sort of always the dream? Um, no, it wasn't the dream. I wasn't one of those blokes that, that that had that in the back of my mind from the you know from the moment that I started thinking about what I was going to do. So it wasn't really a dream. It was definitely a, a bit of a passion. Sport was absolutely a passion. Um, so that was that was always there. That connection and that love of sport was there. And we'll get into Olympics, but I was I was pretty hell bent on Olympics when I was growing up. I, I loved everything about it. There's a myriad of reasons why. But I never sat there going, I want to, I want to host this um, tournament, or I want to host this uh, event one day, or I want to commentate on these events one day. I, I was more just soaking it up as a kid and loving it. Um, so there wasn't really a burning desire to become a journalist and a burning desire to be on TV until I got into the game. Once I was in the game of journalism, um, that's when I started to think, okay, well, what do I want to do next? And probably more importantly, Ben, it was what I didn't really want to do. And I sat around early early days when I was working at a local newspaper in Sydney called The Manly Daily, which I, I grew up on. Um, and I, I remember sitting in the newsroom in there as a young copy boy. I was fresh out of school. Um, I didn't, I, I got uh, admitted into university. I made the course that I wanted to go, but couldn't work out how on earth I was going to pay for it. Um, and literally wow. walked out of of the signing up process and going, shit, what do I do now? <laughs> I'm, I'm 17, 18 years of age. I, I don't know how I'm going to afford going to university. Nobody in my family had been to uni, so I didn't have any knowledge around it. So I went and got myself a job at the local paper as, as a copy boy, um, wow. which, is, which is quite literally running copy for uh, the journos that are typing their stories out. So I got an instant hit on that, and, and what that did was a number of things, but one of the things that it really did do was say to me, okay, I don't want to, I, I love this and I want to embrace this and I want to learn everything about this, but I don't want to be sitting here in 30 years' time. I want to be moving on. I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew that I didn't want to be sitting around there for 30 years just typing out the same old stuff. I wanted to keep going, and thankfully that's sort of how it progressed. It's crazy to think that how something like that, you know, simple as oh, I need to get a job and boom, here you are sort of with everything that's come before that, which, I mean, the sport love, were you, were you, I mean, kind of feel like I disparaged you a little bit there, Matt, by saying you weren't an athlete, but I mean, growing up, were you an athlete? Like, did you play a lot of sports kind of, you know, everything. did you have an am aspiration to maybe become a professional athlete? I, absolutely everything. So sport was the go-to. I'm, I'm the youngest of six and out of those six, there are four boys and two girls. So the three brothers in particular above me, we're a very sporty family. Um, the, the brother who's two years above me, you know, closest in age, he was a very good baseballer, very good at everything. Um, so I grew up playing a heck of a lot of baseball, a whole heap of cricket, which I continued to do, rugby league, 
in the winter. Um, water polo was one of my big things, and I ended up reaching a representative level there on the on the slow scale, <laughs> on the lower <laughs> side, on the lower side. And Still I was counts. a goalie, Still so counts. I'm going to put that. So for all the water polo lovers out there, I was goalie. Okay, so I'm just going to throw it out there that I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm not out there ripping and tearing. I'm out there getting balls thrown at my head. So, look, I had a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of love for sport and it, and it soaked up pretty much every spare moment of my time. I love school. I love doing all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I was, you know, fairly academic, but I certainly love sport and I was lucky enough to grow up in an area where there's, you know, a lot of good sport on Sydney's northern beaches and and like I said mostly it was you know it was your stock standard it was a lot of cricket in summer and a lot of footy in winter and then baseball bled in as well and footy became either rugby league or rugby union depending on how much we could sort of fit in so there was that absolute sort of level there where I thought I didn't think I'd become a professional athlete I, I continued playing sport after I finished school but then it did come a time where the journalism side of it had to had to take precedence because you can't be playing footy when you're out there reporting on footy. You can't be playing yeah. cricket when you want to be out there working on the weekend. So one had to give, and thankfully it was the one that I wasn't that good at, which was sport. <laughs> which is, I, I love I love always meeting a fellow goalie in different sports. My my only claim to fame in any sport is that I was a hockey goalie. And I helped Eddie Ockenden become good because I was the fat kid who he scored all the goals against. So right. without me giving him that level of ability, I I firmly say Eddie Ockenden would suck today. So um, you know, I don't know if you played against any uh, you know future well, uh, representative water polo players that you also could help out along the way. Uh, there's two things to that. I'll get to Eddie Ockenden in just a second. I'm glad that you mentioned him. But when I was um, playing water polo and I made the local manly side, and there was a fairly good um, uh, representative level. And I played in the first grade side uh, at our local pool. We played against Cronulla. Cronulla was stacked with Olympians at that time. And we got beaten 14 goals to one. So as a fellow wow. goalie, you know the pain. Yeah. But I do, and, and I'm the bloke who's letting them all in. So I do remember it was it was boys against men. There was no question about it. And I was the boy. And I remember um, one of the Cronulla players, one of their Olympians came up. He was free. And he just went wham like that. And I think he did it on purpose because it went straight in the middle of my head. <laughs> it was about the only one that I stopped. And I remember my neck going backwards and the bloody thing spearing out. I almost went into the stands. And I thought, this level ain't for me. So there were plenty of Olympians <laughs> on the other side already having a crack. But Eddie Ockenden's a classic one. And I had the chance to say this to him recently in an interview that I did with him heading into the Commonwealth Games. In 2008 in Beijing, I was in the host chair for Channel 7 as we were doing the Olympics coverage there. And we were over there at the time, obviously. And I remember it was probably day one. It was very, very early. And, you know, you, you're sort of coordinating all these sports from the host chair. You're sort of moving around as much. You've got producers in your ear, all that kind of stuff. And it was great. And I remember they said to me, we're just going to play some highlights from the kookaburras. And I, I had no information about it whatsoever. It was one of those bang, okay, we just got to quickly go to the kookaburras. Maddie, you talk about it for 30 seconds or whatever. I was like, shit, I don't have any, you know, I've got all this information. Week one, you just focus on swimming. And I remember that Eddie Ockenden was a goal scorer in some of the highlights that I saw. And out of nowhere, this piece of information that I'd found in my research that I didn't have in front of me popped up into my head that Eddie Ockenden was a Tasmanian. I think he was 18 years of age at that stage. 
Um, there was two or three little bits of tidbits of information that I had about Eddie in the back of my head that helped me get through that 30 seconds of, oh, I'm going to have to talk about something I don't have any notes of in front of me. And I said to him when I did the interview with you, I said, mate, you saved my ass in 2008. <laughs> Only because I knew about you, Eddie, I managed to get through that Perfect. period there. But it, it was a great lesson in, in um, obviously, you know, you do a tremendous amount of research and it's not always in front of you. And you have to back yourself that it's going to come from nowhere. And it just so happened that the the planets aligned. The Eddie Ockenden piece matched up with the with the vision that I had going in front of me and and saved me out of that one. So that was pretty saved cool. You. Fantastic. Wow. I love hearing stories like that, which, I mean, sort of on that Olympic section, you mentioned about your love of the Olympics. Uh, I don't know if when you were playing water polo, you dreamt of, you know, going to Olympics, but what was the passion from Olympic? Did that sort of come growing up just, just watching them? Obviously I can imagine sort of back when you were growing up, Olympic coverage was a little bit different to what we've got today. So obviously yeah. it wasn't, you know, as easy as watching it is today, but I mean, so where did that love of the Olympics come from? On a couple of fronts, one was the fact that I, I just loved the Olympics. I mean, it was such a, you know, it was such a big, unique thing. And as a young bloke growing up playing as much sport as I could, you know, it was it was front and centre every four years and, and it was very different to what it is now. You know, you, you didn't have any internet stuff. You didn't you didn't have any anything in front of you until the Olympics came in front of you on the TV. So, bang, it was there for two weeks and then it disappeared. So I had a, I had a real interest in the Olympics anyway, just by nature of of I guess you know being a young kid who likes to who likes to you know throw footballs around and dive in the pool. So there was an attachment to water polo, and I do remember in the LA Olympics um, staying up late or getting up early and watching Australia play water polo there. And obviously I was starting to play a lot at that stage. I started to play water polo I think when I was about twelve or thirteen. So there was that connection as well. There was a um, a bit of probably a bit of a dream. Gee, I, I'd love that or I'd love to be part of that. Kind of knew I wasn't going to be, but that, <laughs> that was okay. And then the other, the other part of it was our family friends um, who have remained our family friends. We all went to school together and they lived up the road. Um, is a bloke by the name of John Devitt. Now, John Devitt is one of Australia's greatest swimmers and uh, he was and is like an uncle to me so we all grew up together spent a heck of a lot of time there he won a gold medal as part of the 4x100 relay team in Melbourne and he won a gold medal in the 100 meters freestyle in 1960 in Rome in the race that actually ended up um, triggering electronic timing so it's an incredible story you can go back and find out his story but JD was um yeah, more than a family friend to us, he was an icon as well to me, and and a bit of a, um, a bit of a source of inspiration. He was the first Olympian that I'd met. Really, he was the first Olympic medal. His was the first Olympic medal that I'd ever seen. It was something quite mind blowing to me, and I, I probably through his connection um, started to dig a bit deeper into the Olympics world, and then I started to do a fair bit of research. At one stage, I was. Um, sort of hovering around trying to get into the New South Wales Olympic Committee and all that kind of business. Um, so the five rings fascinated me. They, they really did. Um, and probably because I always knew that I would never be an Olympian. And then once you start to get exposed as a professional to the Olympic movement, to the Olympians themselves, as you well know, they've got some of the great stories. So a couple of different levels, the way that it all came about. Having said all that, back to our original point, Ben, I... At no stage did I sit there at that time thinking, okay, wow, I love the Olympics, but 
geez, I hope I hope in 10 years' time I'm sitting there doing, you know, what, what Sandy Roberts was doing at the time or what Bruce was doing at the time. I, I just enjoyed it and appreciated it. That sort of came later and almost out of left field. Yeah, which it's, it's insane to think that journey because, you, you know, like I, for one, similar sort, like I knew I had no ability, I was never going to make it in anything, but then it sort of it switched focus to broadcasting and we had Jason Richardson on recently and he mentioned yeah. that one of his three dreams was to be like Bruce McAvaney and kind of, you know, that sort of helped. And I don't know about you growing up, but like as a kid, I'm always doing commentating your own sporting things and I was always Bruce McAvaney. I was just Bruce mm-hmm. McAvaney commentating on me being the best basketball or hockey player, all this sort of stuff. So it's kind of interesting how little things like that can influence you. But then when you get to a point in your career and then that all of a sudden becomes something that you can achieve and then fast forward, you're working with Bruce McAvaney or Sandy Roberts, yeah. as you said. It's incredible how that can take you to that place. Yeah, it's really interesting the way that it sort of pans out. And the, the other part for me too was that I never had a uh, a desire or a thought process probably around commentary. And, and even as I started to get involved in journalism and obviously leaning towards sports journalism, the, the commentary part never really, never really came to me. I, I never sat there wanting to be a commentator of the 100 metres freestyle final. I, I just loved the fact that it was on and I appreciated those that were doing it. And then I started probably leaning to more, more towards hosting because that's what you get identified as. All right, mate, you're the guy who's yeah. going to sit in the chair. So so commentary kind of came a little bit after after that. We started doing sports tonight, you know, mid, mid-90s and that took off to a, an entirely different level. And next minute I'm sitting there commentating um, motorsport, which I'd never commentated in my life. I was commentating the Uncle Toby Super Series. I'd never commentated that in my life, obviously, golf, the whole lot. And then I, I started to work out that the disciplines are what is what takes you there. So um, to, to me, it's really interesting. You know, I, I love hearing people like Richard and I have been mates for a long, long time. We first met each other in Malaysia in Kuala Lumpur at the 1998 um, Commonwealth Games. It was hilarious, actually. We were at the men's road race, the cycling road race. We were both at the at the finish line there. He was working for Oakley at the time, mm-hmm. and I was uh, I was a sponsored person from Bollet at the time. So we stood there together. We hit it off. It was hilarious, fun. He said, "Mate, you got I'll get I'll get Oakley glasses on you." And I said, oh, "Yeah, right. No worries." Flick <laughs> the Bollet away. We went. But the funny thing about Richo is that as they crossed the line, Australia won the gold medal that day. And as they crossed the finish line, he was so close to all the athletes. There was Richard hanging out across the side of the, the row, right, with his arms out like this. And he's like, yeah, going nuts. <laughs> the next day in the paper, the Malaya Times or whatever it is, the, the, the paper out there, front page of the paper, big colour photo of the Australians <laughs> winning the men's road race, and there's Jason Richardson now. <laughs> Man was wow. destined to become a star. Destined yeah. to become a star. Far out. The stall gift didn't quite get into the Commonwealth Games, but celebrating with the road cyclist did. That's so right. That, that's, that's how it works. That, that's incredible to think that. And I'm glad you mentioned sports tonight because, I mean, like most people in Australia growing up loving sports, we watched sports tonight. I was glued to it every night. And in Tasmania, of course, we didn't really get it until a certain point just because of how our channels worked and then digital TV yeah. and all that fun kerfuffle. But it was just such a, a show that you watch because, again, it was like, oh, what's going on with the sports highlights? I, I found an old episode on YouTube from 1998 oh. and got very nostalgic because you're talking about the World Cup in France. You're talking about Formula One, which is very dear to my heart. You know, you've got Hakkinen and Schumacher. I'm like, wow, you know, things like this. And it's just, it's crazy. I mean, is that what you are still most recognised for to this day is, is sports tonight? 
Yeah, yep. Um, you know, st- <laughs> still people come up and say, hey, mate, that was play of the day. I was out surfing yeah. <laughs> one time and I, I, I was actually going into work when we were still doing sports tonight and I was, I'm not the greatest surfer in the world, but I, I stacked my board and cut my ankle open. I, I was like, ah, and these two little kids were there and they went, ah, that's the play of the day, mate. I just cut up the little buggers. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Sports Tonight holds a really interesting place for a lot of people, I think, and obviously a lot of sports lovers. But I think the reason why is because it was it was the original. It was the, the first of its kind at that time. It was the only nightly sports show. And again, you know, we weren't swamped with information and results and highlights and stuff that we've got now, at, you know, on our phones. You had to come and watch it from us. So we would get in there and piece all this information together that we were watching every day. We could see every day, but you couldn't. Yeah. And that that was the real connection to it and the real link there. And then I think just the natural way that it evolved as we went to air. I mean, that show was really put together um, fairly quickly and on a very, very lean budget, let me tell you. In fact, I can give you a little insight. We did a, the show was originally going to be called Sports Line. Very few people know that. Um, the very first pilot episode that we did was called Sports Line, and the theme music was the old big league match music. Um, mm. I think I think that was the one that we used, the old soccer one. We did it at the old Channel 10 studios in Glebe in Sydney, which is where we were for a while. I was working at 10 part-time at that time, and um, they said to us, you know, we're going to start this show. We want to start this show called Sports Line. Timmy Webster was hosting it. And the original way that it went was that the journo who was doing the story, say I was doing the rugby league rap of the day or the rugby league story, you come in and introduce your own story. So sit next to Tim, introduce your own story, and away you go. I'd already done some TV stuff uh, in Newcastle and NBN, so I was kind of comfortable around that. Didn't know Tim that well at that stage, but was had been working with him, loved the bloke. But, you know, Tim was, Tim was TV royalty. At that stage, and I remember sitting down, the old auto cue actually was on paper. It was like one of those overhead projectors. Wow. So what they yeah, what we used to do was type up our intros and then they would feed it through this machine. It'd pop out and pop up on the screen. It wasn't electronic at all. It was you reading a uh, a bigger version of the piece of paper that you've typed your copy on. And I remember I royally stuffed up the intro. I absolutely stumbled over this word that I put in there and I was just like, duh, 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 you know, <laughs> eventually got, <laughs> I'm no chance, wherever this show goes, I'm no chance of being part of it because I just could not have stuffed that up anymore. And I remember the lesson that night was don't put in words that you think are going to trip you up. Yeah. So, and, and I've lived to that a lot, believe me. So it's a very good one. If there's a word that, you know, it's quite often sometimes we just, our, our, our mouths and our brains don't work on certain words. And I can't remember what it was because I've clearly thrown it out of my uh, of my head. But um, that, that word was like, just don't use it, mate. If you don't use yeah. it, then you, you're less of a chance to stuff it up. So that was the early beginnings of sports tonight. And then once we hit the ground, once we hit the ground, we sort of, we were up and running and it was every single night, um, you know, tied in with the late news with Sol, with Sandra Sully, it, uh, Annie Forward was there originally. It just became, it just became this snowball effect. And the coolest thing about sports tonight is that we had so much fun doing it. It was, you know, we were there late at night, we were there every single day. 
Um, we were there on the weekends, but we had this ripping crew. Our office was actually set up. They actually chopped the old tape library in half and put a whole stack of desks. Looked as, looks, looked as though they got them from the side of the street. Like there were just this hodgepodge of desks. We used to play flat-out cricket in there, and we just had an absolute ball doing it. Um, wow. And I don't think we really realised the, the juggernaut that, that we were creating at the time, um, but people loved it. People loved the fact that they could get something that they couldn't get at the time via internet and, and the web, et cetera. Which, I mean, that's, yeah, I, I, that's exactly it because, you know, try being a Formula One fan in the 90s when, yeah. you know, Channel 9, bless their heart for broadcasting it, but it was a, hey, we're here two minutes before the race starts and we're going to leave two minutes afterwards. You know, if you wanted to see any highlights of practice or qualifying or anything like that, you had to watch sports tonight. You had to watch the six o'clock news and hope there was going to be a quick little snippet yeah. because that, that was all you would get. And things like the World Cup and, and all those sort of, you know, overseas events like that, which was in, insane, which I have to imagine that when you were head of sport at 10 and sports night comes back was that you were you like this has got to come back this is this is a uh, amazing were you sort of instrumental in bringing sports night for back for a little bit when it did come back no it was actually my boss it was the ceo at the time paul anderson so and uh, I, I wasn't um head of sport when we brought sports tonight back i was just about to take over and they decided that they wanted to bring it back and the biggest challenge to bring back sports tonight aside from the fact that the program is buried it at about midnight because they, I think they just didn't like us spending the money. Um, but the biggest challenge, especially for me being there at the start and then me being there both in a hosting role and the person who was essentially charged with rebuilding it, was how do we do it now? Because how we did it back then was perfect for the time for all the reasons I just explained. How we do it now, there's no point coming up and saying, the Demons have just beaten the Bulldogs by 38 points and here are the highlights. Everybody's seen them sitting there watching it on this. Yeah. So it was one of the key things that I actually identified and one of the reasons why I made the move out of Channel 10 originally and over to Channel 7. One of the reasons was I think my time here is done in sports tonight. I'm not sure how far we can take this show anymore and thankfully it kept going, which was awesome because there's great people involved. But then once it died its death, the biggest challenge was what the sports tonight looked like in 2020 or 2019 or whatever year it was that we brought it back. And that was the biggest, that was the biggest challenge um, to try and create a show with the same name, you know, the same history that so many people have, the same one of, one of the hosts who was on it at that time, yet how you tell the story of sport was completely different. So I, I think... I don't think we got it right, to be honest. I think if I had my time over again, I'd probably look at doing it a little bit differently. But I was trying my very best to, you know, bring bring the old sports tonight back again into a new environment. Bang, the two didn't work. Is it also a case of, I mean, we've seen something like Sports Center in the US on ESPN be hugely successful and still is. I mean, I mean, that's cable though versus network. So I can imagine is that sort of where maybe there's influences there for sports tonight. But it's, as I said, network, cable, much different beast when it comes to how something would work, I guess. Yeah. 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 And look, to be, you know, to be frank, on, on free to air, especially, you have to have regularity is one of the keys there. I mean, we did, in the initial days, we did float a little bit time-wise, but our regularity was that we were always off the back of the late news. We were a twin set, as Sully used to call us. We were off the back of the late news. So there was that regularity for viewers. When we brought it back, it was one night a week. It was parked late at night. 
it was not promoted. There was no regularity. There was not, you didn't know what was coming before it. So I think in free to air land, that's very different. You can do that in, in cable, you know, you can start up your own channel and cable fairly easily and just roll it on out. So I think different time, different place, different space, everything about that. But, um, you know, I, I think when we, when we first started sports tonight, we were blessed to have incredibly talented people there. I mean, for me to be able to sit there and watch Billy Woods do his work was just extraordinary. It was it was just insane. I mean, Tim was fantastic, but for somebody like me who was trying to get good at this, there was somebody like Billy who was very good at it, and I could just sit there and, and be, <laughs> be a sponge. So I think when you go back and look at sports tonight, it's we were we were the one at the time. We were pretty much the one and only, and then we we became one of many once those shows started to filter in and and once accessibility became there. So it, it certainly ran its time. There's no question about that. And, yeah, still plenty of people, you know, associate me, Billy, I'm sure, and, and Tim Webster in particular and, and all of those that worked on a, a sports tonight. I could never work out um, why... I used to run into David Campisi after he finished. So one of the one of the greats of Australian rugby, and I'd run into Campo, and there, there's a, there's a classic. I'd run into Campo as I know him. I never knew the bloke, right? So, <laughs> and even though we're in sports tonight, mostly they're traveling around. So you never you never really get the challenge to sit down and and get to know these athletes or interview them. But I after his career, I, I run into him a couple of times at Qantas clubs or at airports or something, and he's like, Maddie, and we had great chats, and I could never work out. I'm like, did I miss the start of a friendship here? Like, how long <laughs> did this bloke bloody well know me? Years later, I was doing a function where George Gregan was, was one of the guest speakers, and Greg's got up on stage and he spoke about how whenever he had to, whenever you roomed with David Campisi, you couldn't go to bed until Sports Tonight was finished. Wow. And I went, ah, that's where he There it is. <laughs> yeah. And I was, so many athletes have said that over the years. Oh, mate, I used to watch sports tonight. I used to do this. And you go, hang on, we were talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's, and it starts to come back. It's a, it's a weird but very cool thing. And I, I'm glad that it's remembered in such a great way because it was a bit of a, it was bare bones stuff, but it was pioneering stuff. I really hope that that didn't translate then to when you hosted today tonight that you did just have a bunch of doll bludgers bumping into you in the streets going, "Hey, Maddie, how you doing, man? You were talking about me the other week. How you going?" <laughs> well, put it this way: when we finished sports tonight, we used to go directly across the pub. There was a pub across the road, and there was a whole crew of us. We used to have great fun. We used to have an enormous time. You know, pretty much some nights we go to the pub in between before we did the five, we do the five o'clock news and then sports tonight. So we go over there and have. And it was just laugh a minute. When I was hosting today, tonight, I used to leave the garage. I'd look both ways to make sure nobody was following me. <laughs> get out straight of home. There we go. Yeah. That way. Yeah. That works that way. I mean, obviously, you get to Channel 7, as you mentioned. 2004, I believe. So good timing yeah. for, for Athens. Was that? I mean, was that sort of when you're working that out, that move, negotiations, however it all works? Was it was a big sort of thing? Hey, Olympics, I could be involved here. It wasn't on the radar, I can tell you that. So I was um, I was extremely happy at Channel Ten. Um, you know, we were we were in a really good space. I loved what I did, and I loved the people that I worked with. And I had an existing deal there, so I had a contract with Channel Ten. Um, so the the call from Channel Seven literally came out of the blue, and it was David Leckie um, who made that call. I remember I got into work one day, and there was a, a message on my phone. Um, my my desk 
phone back then from David Leckie's office uh, and they had called just to basically sound me out. So I, I, I didn't have any, there, there wasn't any thoughts about going across to Channel 7 or anywhere else. I was locked into my deal. Um, but the weird thing was at the time that my deal was, I, I could never really work this out, but my contract with Channel 10 and I used to do them all myself was, um, I think it was for two more years, but after that, they could give me notice for six months um, or I could give them notice for six months. So I was like, well, why are we doing a two-year deal if it's a six-month rolling deal? Yeah. <laughs> so that didn't bother me because I didn't, I didn't need – I didn't have any desire to go and I hadn't been approached. And then I got approached and I had a chat with David Leckie about what they were doing at Channel 7 and what they were about to do at 7 was in some ways a lot of what we did at 10, which was we moved out of, a, of an old place, we moved into a brand new place. It was very different. It was open plan. Um, you know, we're sort of making some waves there and, and having a lot of fun doing it. So I'd been through that process with 10 and then I sat down with, with Leckie and, had a chat, which was an extraordinary, um, an extraordinary way to do it. I went around to his house. It was, it was just bizarre, the whole thing, but it was, it was funny. It was one of those ones where you try and remember things that are happening while they're happening. So you can go back and, and tell other people. <laughs> this is what happened. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But look, basically they, they at channel seven were rejigging everything, um, moving to Martin place, which is where you see sunrise now. Um, the six o'clock news was a big, big part of this. In fact, it was the main part of why they wanted me over there. Um, Ian Ross was coming to do the Sydney news. He was already there, in fact. Um, Barretts was doing sport and th they wanted to rejig that part and put me into that position, um, which turned out to be a little bit awkward because I was under the impression that they'd had those discussions with Barretts and they didn't. Um, it became public and that, you know, obviously had a bit of had a bit of drama there. I'm thankful to say that him being such a bloody great bloke, we've become very good friends and, and you know, it's turned out the way it turned out. So the, the, the Olympic part of it, Ben, was not really there in those discussions. It was this is what we're going to do for the 6 o'clock news, this is what we want to do as, num as the network, and, and the aim was to become number one. Channel 7 had been number two forever. Channel 9 was the number one network and Leckie had been at 9 obviously driving that and he was now here doing this. And then he, he, they didn't have a head of sport at the time. And the, my final piece of negotiation with him was not about money at all. In fact, we didn't discuss money at all until after I'd agreed to sign. Wow. Um, but I did want to know who was going to be in charge of sport. And he said to me, I can't, I can't tell you because it's not public. And I said, well, I can't agree. <laughs> it's just that simple because I had a feeling that I'd be involved in the sports side he said, oh, bloody, all right, I'll tell you, Saul Stein. And Saul, of course, was, you know, the, the absolute genius behind not only Wide World of Sports but MTV in particular, off to Foxtel he went, and we'd always kept missing each other. And so I said, mate, I'm in. And he said to me, we're going to have fun. And I said, okay, you've, you've got me at fun. And then off we went. So the focus was on getting the 6 o'clock news in Sydney right. Um, and trying to win that, and then everything else that came along with it was um, was sort of a not on a side. It was certainly there, but then the opportunity to go and host the Olympics was something that they asked me to do. I didn't stick my hand up and say, "Pick me, pick me," um, and yeah, it happened pretty quickly.
which must be an incredible feeling when they tap you on the shoulder and go, G'day, Matt, how you doing? Uh, Olympics, what, what are you thinking? And all that, what you were telling me before about sort of loving the Olympics, that, that you're all yeah. of a sudden in, involved with this. That must have been an insane uh, feeling when you got that nod. It, it was. It was also terrifying <laughs> at the same time. But, look, I was really lucky. In 1994, I was 24 years of age. I just started at Channel 10 very early. Uh, I think I started there in 1993. And the Victoria Commonwealth Games were on in, in Canada. And I got earmarked to host that. So I hosted my first major sporting event at the Com Games, which I love just as much as the Olympics back in 1994. No idea what I was doing. Like, seriously, no idea. <laughs> but it was a great, it was a, a heck of a way to get thrown into the deep end. And then I was part of 1998's coverage for Sports Tonight. Um, Channel 9 had the rights then, but we went over to Kuala Lumpur. Um, then the Sydney Olympics popped up and I covered them for Channel 10 as well from a different sort of side. So it, it wasn't um, it wasn't like, okay, this is the first time that you're ever going to hear that you're going to be put in this position. I'd sort of done that before along the way, just not at that Olympic level. Um, and I think had I not done that, then I would have been, I would have been absolutely scared out of my brain. I was the opposite. I was, I remember sitting in with Andy Kay, the executive producer, um, on one of my first days in at Channel 7, you know, reading the six o'clock news, doing all that. I was doing Sports World at the time. And Andy gave me this spreadsheet like I'd never seen before, which had the Athens Olympics on it, every damn thing you could imagine. I'd never, and I just went, holy cow, how do I get my head around all of that? So it was it was an extraordinary thing to know that it was coming up. I didn't really attach the whole wow, this is this is me living out my Olympic dream as a 10, 14 year old kid. This was like, okay, this is the next thing that I've got to do and I need to do it properly. Um, because you look around and you see the people that are that are around you and you go, holy cow, these guys know what they're doing. So um, mate, what I did was just put my head down. And, and worked really hard. And I thankfully had done a heck of a lot of sport up to that stage, in particular motorsport as well, where I, I'm a research um, nufty. Like I've got, the only time I really get sort of, if people say, do you get nervous? And I don't really get nervous. I, if, I, if I feel that, that sort of weird feeling, it's normally because I know that I haven't prepared myself as much as I think I should have. And the one thing I knew about going into Athens was um, the, the coverage of Athens was that I was I was prepared to my level, and I was pretty happy with that. And thankfully, that you know it sort of worked out pretty good. Yeah, and it was a unique. I remember those Olympics were sort of the last ones really before things like internet sort of streaming came about. But that was the Olympics where it was sort of shared with SBS because you would watch what like midnight and you'd be, if you wanted to watch the water polo, the handball or things like that, you know, while channel seven is showing 50 replays of the swimming, I can watch, uh, you know, these events, which was, how did that work? Like, how did kind of like, did you just go, Oh, give the shit events to SBS or were they kind of working with you? What we want this, like, cause that was a unique thing, which hasn't really been repeated if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, don't, I actually don't know how that worked. And and to be brutally honest, I'd completely forgotten about that because when you're in that bubble and so we, we've got to point out here that the Athens coverage was hosted out of Melbourne. It was hosted out of Channel 7. In a car in park, I believe, wasn't it? In Some a temporary car park, sheds. Yeah. Remember, Joe was yeah. talking to me a lot about how that was hosted, so it sounded fun. 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so Griggsy and I were there and, and, and you had Tony Squires was hosting as yeah. well. In fact, I remember... 
I remember jumping on the plane. Tony and I ended up going on the plane together and just out you know, going on the plane from Sydney to Melbourne for our big trip. <laughs> um, and I remember Tony said to me something about uh, research and I was like, oh, yeah, I've done, you know, far out. Mate. I've got spreadsheets out of me coming out my ears. And he was like, oh, I haven't done it. <laughs> but that's how... I mean, he'd done that. He'd obviously done it, but that's you know that's that's the kind of operator that he is, and it was he was part of a great team. So w- when you're in there, it's this incredibly. Um, I, I don't know the way to. It's almost like being a boot camp. You know, you, you live and you breathe and you talk and you exist to go every single day about the Olympics. You don't know what on earth is going on essentially in the outside world, and yeah. working weird hours. You have to make sure that you get your sleep. Two weeks is a long time um, and, you know, we're essentially doing it down the line to Athens. So it was a, it was a really different one for me. It wasn't, you know, it, it, it wasn't like uh, when I first hosted the Commonwealth Games all those years before on site in a different country, you know, all that kind of stuff. This was in a studio that even though I just got to Channel 7, I'd actually filmed some stuff in there before for ESPN. We used to do a show called A Question of Sport. And I used to go down to Melbourne and film it in that studio, Studio A, I think it's called. So weirdly enough, I was familiar with that studio, even the even the floor manager at the time. So I had some I had some comfort around me where I was hosting it, um, and it it made my job. I had some awesome people working who who I worked with on it, some producers and all that kind of stuff. So it made my job really easy. I I, I didn't feel overwhelmed by the challenge of of Athens. I felt like it was, I was prepared for it. I wanted to do it. I was at a new place. We wanted to do it differently and and we did it well, I think. Yeah. And it was obviously a great game for Australia to be a part of. Uh, at that time, our most successful in terms of the gold medals as well, yeah. which I mean, do you, do you allow yourself to get caught up in that? Do you allow yourself as an Aussie to kind of be like the rest of Australia and kind of soak up the success and celebrate along the way? I think you're seeing more and more now, especially with, you know, the, the prevalence of um, things like we're doing now, you know, Zooms and different cameras and and the ability to, to to fire out a whole heap of different feeds and social media feeds, et cetera. I think you're actually seeing more now of what, what you've what you've been missing. So the behind the scenes stuff of of me or Griggsy, for instance, you know going nuts or Bruce or whatever it is, absolutely going nuts either when you're on air or, you, or you're not on air, mostly when you're not on air. Um, you know, that was, it wasn't so much frowned upon, it just wasn't accessible. So that that's going on, believe me. When, you, when you're sitting there and and you're hosting and, you know, someone's going for a gold medal and Aussie's going for you, you're like, <laughs> you're riding Actually, it it's, it's like working with seven for the Beijing Olympics, some of my best memories were when you're not on the floor and you're sort of just in the lunchroom or something and you've got, you know, I've got certain prominent hosts and former Olympians all sitting around a room and watching the thing and cheering. Like it's just, it's things like that where I'm sitting there going almost like I'm trying to be professional. I've got a job at channel seven. I'm doing my best. At the same time I'm going like, this is crazy. This is so much fun watching all these guys reacting because it is, you get, you get involved in the moments. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And like I said, I think the cool thing now is that you get the viewer gets to see that as well. Yeah. And 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 as you've said, you've experienced it firsthand. You know, I, I always think I did a thing with a we had a, a, a footballer come into our radio station the other week and or a couple of months ago to commentate a game with us. And he's a current footballer and he said to me, rugby league player, and he said to me before, he said, I'm actually a bit nervous. I've never really I've never I've never done this commentary stuff. And I said, Oh, okay, I said, cool. I said, Well, 
well, what do you do at home? And he goes, mate, I sit on the lounge like when I'm watching footy and he's a player, and he goes, I sit on the lounge and I scream at the television. And we we were calling this footy match off, off tube and off the television in our studio. And I said, mate, why don't you sit here and shout at the television? <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what he did, which is cool. And as you've seen, you know, Olympic athletes don't sit around and analyze and go, hmm, this is very good. And, you know, that turn, they, they go, come on, you bloody thing. Like, yes. And they yeah. go nuts for it. So, hosts are no different. It's also crazy to think. So, you were involved, obviously, in Athens, then Turin, and then Beijing. Always yeah. love Turin 2006, one of my favorite Olympics. And particularly because yeah. one of my favorite moments of all time is Dale Begg Smith winning the gold medal. Um, any Dale stories, connections? Did you get to chat anything? I know Joe's giving me all her stories about the Dale interview that she did, which is great for another time. But anything with Dale at all? Nothing. He gave us nothing. He gave us absolutely zero. I was. Uh, I didn't have. I think I managed to say well done, mate, when I went down because I was up in the commentary box calling that one. Um, and you're right, Torino 2006. Out of everything that I've done, a lot of people say to me, "What's the most favourite thing?" you know, that you've covered um, and they go to Formula One, which is which is cool. They go to Australian Open Tennis, which is awesome, or the, the Olympic Games, et cetera. And the one that sticks out for me was Torino 2006. It was my first Winter Olympic Games. Um, I was there doing our news back to Sydney every morning as well, way up um, on the on, in the Alps, which was just incredible. And then I was commentating both the moguls the aerials, so they were at a place called Salze Dutz, which you probably remember, yep. and then the yep. snowboarding up there as well at a place called Bardenechia. Um, so I was, you know, hovering between all of these and commentating all of these massive events, and Dale Begg-Smith was the one. So he's the only Olympic gold medal that I've ever commentated on, which was, you know, extraordinary. But that's history now. right there, Matt. Sorry <laughs> to interrupt, but, like, come on. This is this is the most underrated, overlooked gold medal Australia's ever won at the Olympics. We stole a Canadian because they yes. wouldn't let him win the gold and got this moment, the enigma that he's Dale on his island somewhere. But, I mean, you you called it. You were it. <laughs> I know, which is bizarre, isn't it? It's it's absolutely incredible. It was a, it was a heck of a night, but he... He didn't deliver much. Do you remember at the time there were, you know, the, the journos were sort of digging around trying to find out more about him and, oh, and, yeah. and where the money came from and the pop-up ads that pop up on your on your internet feeds and blah, blah, blah. And so he he's quiet by nature, but um, he just kind of shut down and he didn't really offer anything. So <laughs> out of all of the athletes that I've had everything to do with and it can regale you with a million stories about the one and only Olympic gold medal that I've managed to call for an Australian, <laughs> I got nothing, absolutely nothing on him, except that I sat there in the booth. I had Jay Only and Stephen Lee beside me. Um, we called it. The hard part about that. Now, th- this is a this is a really interesting one, because when they when they finish when he finishes, the scores actually come up on the screen in the commentary box before they come up on the screen on your TV. Mm-hmm. So for a split second, probably a little bit longer than that, for a couple of seconds, I knew that he'd won the gold medal. But I couldn't share that with you at home yet because they hadn't put that onto the screen and you can't marry the two up, you know, you can't jump the gun, so to speak. So it was an extraordinary thing where I had these two athletes alongside me doing exactly what you were just saying. Mate, they were going nuts, seriously. And the, the box is as big as, you know, it's about this much room anyway. They're jumping up and down and going crazy. <laughs> and here am I trying to maintain some level of professionalism to say, you know, 
hold on, let's 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 keep it going for another second or so before bang up it comes on your screen and you can announce to the world that he's a gold medalist when you already have known that for the last couple of seconds. So yeah, incredible, incredible to see. I mean, that was just it was an extraordinary trip, that whole thing to to live up in the mountains of of northern Italy for the best part of a month to travel around there to commentate um, snowboarding. That was the first time they brought in border cross. Mm. Um, was just extraordinary to see how everything worked. Was was crazy. Um, Griggsy and I had some good fun up there when we managed to cross paths, which was hilarious fun as well. So, yeah, a really really good memory. I could ask this question then. Um, not sure over all your Formula One coverage if you ever got the opportunity to interview or chat with a certain Kimi Raikkonen. Who gives more, Kimi Raikkonen or Dale Begg Smith? Kimi. <laughs> Kimi. Kimi. Wow. Saying something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let me tell you a good one about Kimi. So I interviewed Kimi in, uh, well, uh, quite a few times across the course of it, but we went over to Germany and um, he was racing for Mercedes at the time and we had gone up to do an interview with him, which was all which was all set up. Uh, I had a cameraman with me from Melbourne and our producer as well. So Kimmy and I went into this room. We sat in this in this incredible uh, outfit that they had all decked out, you know, out the back there, corporate. And as you probably know, Kimmy Kimmy's volume level is is right next to mute. Yeah, <laughs> like, very much so. It doesn't yep. go much higher, and it can't go much lower. So even when you're sitting in a room that is again no big, it was a tiny little meeting room. Um, it's very, very hard to hear him. We had probably 15 minutes allocated with him. We had a ripping chat. Um, there was just me, my cameraman and Kimmy. We had a great chat, finish it all off. Good on you, mate. Thanks. No worries. The good thing was it wasn't deadline. It, it was something that we're going to bring back and play a little bit later, months later. Um, but as he got up and walked out and he was fantastic, my cameraman went, had that look. And I went, what? And he said, the microphones went on. Oh, and I no. Went, I went, mate, of all people, seriously, oh, shit. the guy who you can't hear with microphones <laughs> didn't have any microphones on him oh. and we only, had the top, we only had the top mic of the camera to go with and I remember the PR lady came in and she said, how did it go? And I said, oh, he was fantastic, but we didn't have our microphones on. And she said, well, shit, I'll go get him. I'll, go, I'll get him again. We'll just bring him back in. And I said, no, 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 I know how this works. That's fine. He's done his job. He's, you know, he's done it. So thank you very much. But that was cool. So that that chat with Kimmy never made it to air. It was a ripping chat. Damn. <laughs> like, that, that was when he revealed all these secrets that, you know, you had this right. exclusives with that yeah. sort of stuff. That's that's insane. Well, we've all been there, Matt. That's all happened to us uh, <laughs> over the years. Uh, Beijing, though. Sort of talk about coverage. I, I I remember a lot of Beijing watching it on my phone, which yeah. sounds commonplace today. But in two thousand and eight, God, that was that was very rare. I think you had to pay maybe a I don't know a five dollar subscription or something back in the day. But God, I remember going out to a restaurant with my partner at the time and going, "Shit, we're about to win a gold in rowing!" Quickly put it up on my phone, which <laughs> was insane. So a lot of my memories of you, Matt, in two thousand eight is very small, Matt White. There, yeah, my, I think my Nokia <laughs> back then it would have been. So, I mean, groundbreaking coverage, but. Again, I mean, experiences of Beijing, a great Olympics to go to China, everything along those lines. I mean, what was that experience like? It was quite extraordinary. Um, again, you know, like I'd come off 2006, as you mentioned, in Torino, and I'd also covered the World Cup in Germany that year as well for seven. So I was on the road a heck of a lot and, you know, exposed to these incredible events uh, on, on a grand scale. And then 
2008 in Beijing was something completely different. It was off the charts. As you know, Kerry Stokes has got a lot of business over there and he wanted to make a very big statement. So I think the way it worked was that they sort of held on to all the cash, if you like, expenditure from, from Athens from 2004, which is part of the reason why we did it in Melbourne, so we could make a big statement in Beijing. And everything changes when everyone goes. That's the cool thing about it. I mean, you can you can do... I could host an Olympics coverage from here. Like that, yeah. that's how it could work these days. And you're not going to miss a beat. But it's a very different feeling when all of a sudden there's a couple of hundred of you and you're all at the same place and you're, you're crossing paths in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning. You're living and breathing out of each other's pockets. You know, I'd get up and go to the gym with Andrew Gaze and thankfully I'd, you know, I'd known Gaze for ages, but I, I still looked across and I went, I'm in the gym with Gaze. <laughs> what the hell's happening here? And then, you know, you're walking in, you're bumping into Olympians left, right and centre. So the, the whole process of of being in China, and again, I still have my six o'clock news duties to do at the, at the time as well. So I would, my day would involve, I can't remember the timings now, mate, but my day would involve getting getting ready to do my six o'clock news coverage from there. So the sport segment out of the six o'clock news back to Sydney, and then the driver would take us straight over to the broadcast centre and I'd go in and do my shift and finish at whatever time it was in the morning over there. So it was it was monumental in its size and its scale, but it was incredible to be there and, and witness the whole thing firsthand with everybody else. So um, I kind of, to be honest, I kind of get lost in, in what happened at the Beijing Olympics. I saw one event. Um, I managed to get to one event only, which was... Uh, which was a swimming event. So I, I went out to the to the pool and I saw an event there. It was one of Michael Phelps's golds. Don't know which one. <laughs> there was a b- bunch of them. <laughs> Pick a gold, any gold. So yep. I saw that. And that that was there. about yep. it. Yeah, that was about it. But it was just it was work, 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 work on a on a grand scale. And and I I actually got a bit crook there. I don't know what happened, but I got a bit crook and I was um I lost my voice. As uh-huh. I was going, and Joe Joe Griggs had to go and do had to basically double up on a shift. So, so Griggsy was before me, and then I'd take over. And I remember I was I was crook. People have thought I'd been out party, <laughs> which was extraordinary. <laughs> Come like, on, Matt, be yeah. honest. Come on, where's you were? the time? Yeah, well, yeah. no. I, the reason was because we used to get back in the mornings, and we get back to our media village. And you could sit outside and have, you know, you could have a beer if you want. And so we were sort of living the flip side life. And and I reckon, I reckon people used to see us going, oh, these guys have been partying all night. Whereas in fact, we'd actually just got home. <laughs> so all of that goes into it. You know, it was it was just a remarkable couple of weeks in a very different place at a very different game. Security was off the charts. The Chinese parked a um, a tank outside the IBC one day. It just appeared. So where you go through and you, you scan your computers and all that kind of stuff, all of a sudden there's a tank there <laughs> and then it went. I don't know what that was all about. So everything was was really, really different but incredibly good fun. That actually explains why there was a tank parked outside uh, Docklands in, during the Beijing Olympics. Channel 7 obviously loved that security measure. So uh, 14 <laughs> years later, uh, Beijing, but just they brought it to uh, to Australia instead. Incredible to think that. It. I mean, obviously you, you're with Channel 7 for a few more years Ultimately, they don't have the Olympics in 2010 and 2012, but you got to do another Commonwealth Games when you're back with Channel 10 in, in Delhi. How close, like, I'm guessing, was there sort of a transition period where you missed out on Sochi? Because 10 had Sochi 
2014 as well. But were you not quite at 10 back again when they had the Sochi Olympics? No, no. So I hadn't um, I hadn't gone back there uh, yet, and I got back in time for Glasgow. So, um, which was which was another one that's um, an interesting one because when I agreed to go back to Channel Ten, none of that was was part of why I was going back there. So, wow. um, which was kind of extraordinary the way that it it panned out as well. So I I kind of. It's very hard. I mean, I think if you try and, unless you're Macca, unless you're Bruce, I think if you're trying to marry up what you do in Olympics and Commonwealth Games with which broadcasters are going to do it, you do your head in. You know, sometimes you're lucky to be at a network where it comes. Sometimes you can be um, brought to a network to do that particular role. Sometimes you have to miss out on it. Um, and I think probably, you know, when I first went into it in 94, I, I was probably thinking, how cool is this? I mean, I'll, be, I'll just be doing this for the rest of my life, you know, yeah. Yeah. having no idea how the game worked then and that it gets moved around and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I missed I missed Delhi, thankfully, in Commonwealth Games terms, um, and I did miss Sochi, um, which I would have liked to have done, but that kind of looked like a car park as well. So yep. <laughs> I don't know, don't know how much I missed there. And then... I did cover the London Games. Um, Channel 9 had the rights and I covered the London Olympics. I was doing Today Tonight at the time. Um, so they sent me over there to do that, uh, do my show from there essentially, which is what I do. So I I had one of the weirdest Olympic experiences in London because I didn't have an accreditation to anything. Wow. The networks that don't have the rights only get a certain amount of accreditation. So I wasn't accredited to go anywhere and therefore I couldn't go anywhere. I was, I used to get up in the morning, I'd do all my research um, and then I'd prepare for, you know, I'm a half hour current affairs show. I'd jump on the train, go to Stratford, walk up through Westfield and pop out on where the, where we had all our studios. Channel 10 was next to us. All of the non-rights holders had their studios there. And I used to do my show from 9.30 to 10 o'clock London time in the morning. And at 10 a.m. I was done. I couldn't do anything else. And we didn't have any cameras to go anywhere else. So I literally would jump on the train and go home and spend the rest of the day doing what Jeez. I needed to do, hanging around London. So wow. it was extraordinary. And after a week, they realized that that was pretty much a waste of time. So I came home. Wow. <laughs> and, and watched the rest. Yeah, which it's was... the same being in an Olympic city and just, yeah, not like, you know, with all that going on and just not being able to... Do much? Do you not go yeah. pay a ticket? Like I'm going to go at least watch the, I don't know the, the water polo. Like, you know, this is my sport. I'm going to go watch some of it. I'm here. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was it was a really different. It was really really interesting. A really different time. In fact, um, Jimmy Wilson and I, we often laugh about it. So where the train station was at Stratford, which is where the you know where the main point to the Olympics was, you have to go through Stratford Station, and you quite literally had to walk through the Westfield that Frank Lowy built there for that purpose. Um, and I would be off air at 10 o'clock on the dot upstairs and then the trains would run every seven minutes. So Jimmy and I, Jim was doing the sport at the time, so Jimmy and I used to go down and more often than not we'd make it to the um, the 10, 14 train back to London and think, geez, that was pretty good. One day I made it on the 10.07. So wow. I was off air <laughs> <laughs> I was off there at 10, I was in the train at 10.07 and I was back back in my hotel, you know, figuring out the rest of my day. But, yeah, look, it was a weird one, but you have to get used to that as well. You know, like just think of the snapshot that we've just been speaking about across Com Games and, and Olympic Games. First Com Games there, full rights holders in Canada. 
um, Nexcom games, running around with a microphone, you know, not not being able to get into anything because we're non-rights holders. First Olympic Games, car park from Channel 7, Melbourne. Second Olympic Games, the full-blown experience in 2008 in Beijing, in between Torino, et cetera. So sometimes you've got the rights, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you you there get to see everything, sometimes you don't. That's just the way that sort of, you know, TV works. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely insane how that all definitely does play out. It's, it's fascinating to hear that. 2014 also was a big year for you. Congratulations on the goal of the year, by the way. I'm sure you never get uh, mistaken for that, Matt White, do you? Uh, Port Adelaide <laughs> at the time, goal of the year, AFL. Great goal, by the way. One into no. the other of, of Marvel. Fantastic. <laughs> well, it's a pretty common name, isn't it? It's Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty easy. I did get mistaken in 94. when So the first ever time that I went through the accreditation process at, a con, at the Con Games Matt White, the cyclist, was cycling in those games. Um, ah. And and I remember that when I went to sign up, there was a whole stack of us, um, they wanted to give me his accreditation. And I hadn't <laughs> been through that process before, so I was like, oh, whatever. And and then somebody, I can't remember who it was, but somebody figured it out. So I was that far away from actually being a Commonwealth Games representative with accreditation. You, so, you yeah. would, could have, there's your dream right there. You should have said, yeah, that's me. Absolutely. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Get me on my bike. But, Come on. I'll do, I'll yeah, do it that way. <laughs> 2014 was was interesting, um, the way that it all sort of came together. So I had been um, approached by Channel 10 to come back to, to 10. I was I was really happy at 7. I'd finished up doing Today Tonight. That wasn't for me, but I, I gave it a fair old, you know, crack. Um, I had some wonderful, wonderful people at Channel 7 that I'm, you know, forever blessed to have been, uh, to have worked with and, and become friends with, you know, lifelong friends. And there are, there are numerous of those and the experiences and the professionalism that I, that I gained around being around those people, I think, you know, is, is something that I look back on and really cherish. But I was approached by Channel 10 to come back and this is the, the first time that this story has been told. But the reason why I went back to Channel 10 was I had agreed to host their breakfast show. So they wow. had a breakfast show at the time, which was um, down at a beach in Sydney, which was sort of, you know, tank. that. Yeah. And they approached me to do that. Um, and that was that was the reason why I signed with Channel 10. It, it didn't have anything to do with money. I was quite happy at seven. You know, it was probably some things going on there that I've, that I didn't really like at the time at seven, but probably not enough for me to want to move. Uh, and then I got offered this challenge to come and host, co-host the breakfast show and and give it the full reboot. Start again. Let's start afresh. Let's be a player in this market. Let's do this, do that, whole stack of things. Um, that's what I agreed to. So that's what I signed up to do. Uh, and that was very specific in my contract. And also in my contract was some very specific things around what I didn't want to do uh, in terms of their motorsport space, because obviously with my motorsport background, I didn't want to come in and barrel people out of a job. That's exactly how it ended up turning out for a whole stack of reasons. But I had very specific things in there in my contract about, okay, if I'm going there to be the breakfast show host, then that kind of parks a lot of the sports stuff that I do. Plus I'm, I'm okay. I don't, you know, I've got great friends there that I, I don't want to go and step on their toes. I've got my job. So I made that decision, um, signed up, gave Channel 7 the the word that I was leaving, got put out on gardening leave, which is, you know, wasn't for the first time. Um, 
<laughs> and by the way, um, you know when you're on gardening leave at my level, when you're actually out doing your gardening and people ring <laughs> up and say, mate, when you're on gardening leave, you go on holidays or you pay people to do your garden. I said to one bloke who was very high in the industry who, who'd been through that, I said, well, clearly your gardening leave was a little bit different to my garden. <laughs> my garden's been unattended for 10 years, mate. I've been travelling the world. I've got to get to this. <laughs> <laughs> but ended up, what ended up happening was that before I even got to Channel 10, they removed 150 people from the newsroom and decimated it and Ouch. therefore took off the breakfast show. So... Very few people, in fact, nobody really knows that um, I signed on to Channel 10 to do a breakfast show that was killed before I even got to Channel 10, wow. which was stupidity of the highest order. And here I was with a very lengthy contract and I made sure that it was multiple years um, with a pretty rock solid deal because I knew that I was taking some risks to do that. And I really had no no intention of doing anything sport-wise at the network. I'd, I'd always help them out. So when that sort of shift took place, um, that's when they contacted me, the, the head of sport at the time contacted me and said, mate, we now know that you're not doing the breakfast show. Can you do this, 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 this? <laughs> and one of those was Glasgow. So that's how I how I kind of fell into the Glasgow role. I was, I was really happy to do it. Love Com Games, obviously getting a chance to go over there and be part of that crew and work with different people was awesome, but it certainly wasn't, on the radar. Incredible story. Thanks for the exclusive. We appreciate when we get one of those. But you can celebrate your 20-year anniversary of your first Commonwealth Games or that one. So that, that kind of worked. Three really quick things I want to ask you before we let you go, Matt. The first one, when it comes to Today Tonight, I'm sure we could do a whole episode on Today Tonight, but when you're in that chair for the first time, are you just channeling Mike Moore? Are you just going... Mm, like are you just wanting to do some Rob Sitch, Mike Moore impersonation? Mm, disturbing report that. Mm, yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, <laughs> there's a little bit of that to it. <laughs> the thing that I did like, <laughs> the thing that I did like about my time at Today Tonight was the office environment. Um, I mean, I, I think for good reason, but mostly because of the way that the promos are. Your current affairs and Today Tonight's have this, you know, perception from those on the outside, and it was me included. These are all a bunch of, you know, doll, doll bludger chasing nuts that, you know, don't, don't have any journalistic credibility about and blah, all that kind of stuff. The reality is completely different. So what you see on the promos is wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, come and get my attention. Let's all sit down and watch at 6.30. That's what it's all about. And you've got to remember there's an extraordinarily large number of people watching TV yeah. at that time. So there's that side to it. Then there's the real side to it, which is this incredible group of, of dedicated people who do have to operate in a bit of a different box, but they're just as journalistically, if not probably more journalistically advanced and deep and um, in their research and how they go about things and what they do, everything from the chief of staff down to the executive producer, my boss at the time, Man, it was an extraordinary thing to watch. And I would sit there and look out and go, holy cow, this has got the feel of exactly what I said to you earlier about sports tonight. Mm. We had a ripping bunch of people who were really dedicated, who had a lot of fun doing it, and in a completely different environment, a completely different time, that was exactly what we had at that time at, at Today Tonight, the, the, the crew that I sort of went and walked into and literally introduced myself, even though they were upstairs the whole time. So... There was there's sort of two sides to it, and then when you my role, I thought when they asked me to host it again was like, okay, I'm up for this challenge. It's something completely different. 
I don't like doing the same thing over and over and over. Um, I knew that I'd get the piss taken out of me for being Mike Moore, and I tried my best to stay away from that, but sometimes you do. But I will tell you, I was in my office. I had an office, which was even weirder. Um, I was in my office and somebody had left. It used to be Anna Corrin's office, right? So Anna did the show before I did. And then somebody had left or given me, or maybe I brought it over from the sports office, you know, your little your little basketball hoops with the suction yeah. caps on, you stick them yeah. up there. So I was actually <laughs> I was sitting there like this in my office, feet up, right? <laughs> I'm sitting this is before the show and I'm shooting hoops like this. And I my wife phoned up and she said, What are you doing? And I went, Oh shit, I'm having a Mike Moore moment. <laughs> I, said, I said, seriously, here I am about to go and host this show and I'm sitting around like Mike Moore, hmm, disturbing report that shooting hoops go, Oh no, you dickhead. You, it's it's so, come full circle. Here it is. There it is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, I'm, ha- it's, I'm it's happy happened. to wear that, but um No, I think with a with yeah, a badge of honor. Know. Come on, like you know, <laughs> yeah. you're Mike Moore. That's that's peak Australian journalism right there. Oh, that's yeah. Yeah, that's where you get right. to it. Um, I've got to ask. Always ask anybody from Channel Seven. Can you give us a quick Bruce story? Any any? I mean, I'm sure you got twenty thousand of them. That would take ten hours. But is there something that you can quickly share about the legend, the icon, the man himself? Look, you've probably got them all. Um, anyway, and and you know, Bruce is exactly what Bruce is. He's He's a wonderful, gentle soul for a start as a person. He's an incredibly dedicated professional. Um, He's got the research and he's got it in his head. So everything that you think about Bruce and everything that you see from Bruce is exactly what it is. So there's no surprises at all to Macker. I think, you know, his warmth comes through the TV screen. There's no question about that. And when when you're with him, when you're around him, even if it's in passing, when you're working with him, that's the first thing that, that jumped out at me from Bruce is his his genuine warmth as a human being. So the the professionalism and somebody who sort of came into his world already working in it um, and knowing all about him, we crossed paths a, a couple of times. There was generosity about him. You know, you could ask him anything you wanted, but he also had the ultimate respect for you and what you did and, and, and your part in the chain, so to speak. So that to me is, is Macca in a nutshell. And I, and I, I don't think that there's any real surprises in that whatsoever. The only thing that jumped out at me was one day we were hosting, we were, he was hosting, we were doing the Melbourne cup at seven. And um, he said to me, he goes, Maddie, we, we share the same superstition. I think we were in the, we we're in the, room getting um getting our suits on i went i don't have any superstitions how did how does this work and he, so somewhere along the line i'd been on a radio station or something like that and somebody had asked me that question and and really i'm not a superstitious person but i do put my left sock on then my right sock then my left shoe and then my right shoe and then i do up my left and then i do up my right it's wow. more out of process than anything like yeah. seriously and i went oh okay maca goes I always put on my left shoe before I put on my right shoe. <laughs> I went, you know what? If that's what we've got in common, I'm sticking with it. Yep. I'm going. Done. Yeah. That's that's yeah. I'm the same as Bruce McAvain right there. That's perfect. There you go. Yeah. I love that. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start doing that now too, that you say that. <laughs> Quick question then too. Oh, this is a selfish one for me, nothing to do with the Olympics. As a motorsport fan, Formula One fan, uh Lewis Hamilton or Michael Schumacher, who's the GOAT? <sighs> well, Lewis is going to be okay. the GOAT because numbers will get him there and numbers have got him there. 
Um, and motorsports a numbers game and Formula One, if anything, is a numbers game. So in terms of what Lewis has been doing and the way that he's been racking them up, and you've got to look at the numbers in their entirety, podiums, poles, wins, the lot, fastest laps, championships go with that as well. So I think that um, I think that Lewis will win that debate, does win that debate. Um, I think different time for, for Michael when he was dominating the sport and the way that he did it. Um, they're, they're both not the world's most, you know, jump outable um, people, are they? They don't really provide you with a with a lot. I, I interviewed Michael Schumacher when he was at the peak of his career um, driving for Ferrari and I went down to Melbourne and did an interview before the Australian Grand Prix and somebody said to me afterwards, they said, oh, what was he like? And I, the only word I could think of was, he's very German. <laughs> and that's not being disrespectful at all. Absolutely not. But he was he was very direct and he was very good at it. And at the time, Rubens Barrichello was driving with him and Barrichello was very Brazilian, which is very yeah. much like us, you know. So there's sort of that, um, that personality trait. But I think in terms of numbers, I mean, how do you determine who's the GOAT? Well, you've got to go to numbers in motorsport. It's a numbers game and, and that's where Lewis will sit. So many extra conversations I have you about this, Matt. There's so many elements to your amazing career and everything that is just absolutely fascinating. But it's really been so much fun learning a little bit about it today, getting some exclusives and everything along those lines. And people who want to stay up to date, social media, tune in on a, was it Monday to Wednesdays, SEN, plug yourself, Matt. Where, where can yeah. they stay up to date with you? Well, radio is my world now. I still do uh, a little bit of TV here and there, but radio is my world and I'm loving it. So we, uh, SEN, I mean, a lot of your listeners in Melbourne in particular will know SEN. We started SEN in Sydney a couple of years ago and now broaden the network around the country as well. So Monday to Wednesdays on uh, SEN 1170 AM in Sydney uh, is Mornings with Matt White, where we talk sport for three hours, which is a pretty good job if you ask me. <laughs> Cushy job, if you, yeah, exactly. And Matt White underscore TV on Instagram. Can they follow you on the gram? Do you you'd put much me. on there at the moment, or don't do much know? on the gram? Uh, <laughs> I still, I still follow Twitter a lot. I get a lot of my news feeds out of Twitter, um, so I still follow that. But don't do a lot on the gram. I've actually been overtaken on the gram by my wife, who's an artist, oh. and uh, she's now she's now doing reels. Um, so she's wow. like way ahead of me on Growing that. Up. You, you balance that by getting on TikTok. That's how you do it. You know, yeah, you know hey, true. wife, that's I'm going to go on TikTok then. I'm going to beat your reels. <laughs> you know, that's that's where it's at. Matt, pleasure. So much fun having you on the show today. Thank you so much. And uh, can we can we go out with you holding up the trophy? Can we just, I just, I feel our video uh, right. listeners and audience right now, celebrate it, Matt. Come on, milk it. Well, hang on a second. You just got to remember too that this is the runners-up trophy, right? So, hey. <laughs> but... Three, I think there were four judges at the time, four tens in the grand final and still got runner-up. It was a raw. I look at this and I see a rot in the making. That's yeah, what happened. People boycott Adam Brand. Stop listening to his music <laughs> and listen to Matt White's radio show instead. That's how you get the revenge That's all these it, years yeah. later, Matt. Come on. <laughs> I hope you don't play any uh, Adam Brand on SEN. Don't. Scrap it. Oh, get rid of it all. No. Completely gone. You know the worst <laughs> thing about that? The worst thing about that, Adam was such a good bloke. I was yeah. like, oh. If you're a, you know, can I lose to Lincoln Lewis or someone like that? We're in it for 12 weeks together and I'm like, darn, couldn't I have been left in the grand final with somebody who I can't, I can't stand and then I can rip into? Oh, uh, oh well. Well, All-Stars too. You were robbed of not being on that. But, Matt, pleasure having you uh, on the show today. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Ben. An 
massive, massive thanks there to Matt. Uh, an amazing chat. And, of course, if you're listening to this on audio, which, of course, you are. The only way you're hearing my voice right now is on audio. But check out our video interview with Matt on our YouTube channel because he literally gets the Dancing with the Stars runner-up trophy at the beginning and the end of the interview. So it's a, a lot of fun. And as I said during the interview, the first time we've ever had that shown off and maybe better than an Olympic gold medal or a Bing Dwendwin. So uh, great to have that there and so much fun learning all about Matt's career in the Olympic space and the voice of Dale Begg Smith winning a gold medal. Amazing. Incredible to uh, chat to him about that. Big thanks. I want to shout out actually to uh, our good friend of the show, Joanna Griggs, for hooking us up with Matt there in order to uh, get the interview done. So thanks, Joe, for that. That was a lot of fun. We have so many more great interviews coming your way over the course of the coming weeks and months. As always, I'm not spoiling anything. I'm not giving it away. I've teased some of the athletes. I said we've got an aerial skier coming up. We've got the debut of a couple of sports involving bowls. Uh, That, of course, is, is the one with the racket and one with the foot put two and two together there. Uh, Some great athletes coming your way too. We're returning to ice hockey. It's been a while since we've had somebody from the great sport of ice hockey on the show. A bunch of Olympic medalists coming your way as well, which is always exciting. And some great athletes who maybe have won medals, but have still got great stories and great Olympic experiences along the way. So stay tuned to that. Jared, Colin and myself are getting back together in only a couple of weeks to bring you another special episode. We love bringing those to you. I don't want to spoil it. Again, I've always got to tease it and allure you into this is like today, tonight, you know, it's going to be, you won't believe what's coming up. Listen, this is basically what we are becoming, Matt White on Today Tonight. So I implore you to keep listening and staying tuned to the show. And the best way to do that, of course, how do you do it? Subscribe to the podcast, all good podcast platforms out there, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, you know them, you're out there, you're obviously subscribed to them, hopefully, and if you're not, do it. You'll get the shows much easier than having to search for them every single week. And we always appreciate, as always, feedback, ratings, everything that you can give us along the way. Social media, I mentioned YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're on all of those. You know how to find us. Send us a message. Let us know what you think of the show. We always love hearing from you along the way too. And as always, we appreciate the support. Anybody listening, we really do thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. Without you, we wouldn't be here. We appreciate every single one of you. So as always, a special shout out to you for listening to the show today. Thanks again to Matt for his time on the show. Shout out to the Birmingham Bull. My name is Ben. This has been Off the Podium. And until we next speak again, remember to go left. When the stars make you drool just like pasta That's When you dance down the street with the cloud at your feet, you're in When you walk in a dream But you know you're not dreaming, senor Excuse me, but you see back in old Napoli That's amore Amore